Hello everyone, it's me, Jagazus. I wanted to do a little brief intro overall here. This is our second episode of Untracing Trauma with Korea, but I wanted to give a trigger warning. There are talks of unaliving and some self-harm, so if that's something that you don't want to hear about, that's okay. Go ahead and skip this episode onto the next one, but also to be fair, it's a show about trauma, so things are gonna come up. No, but that is your ample warning. I also wanted to give a shout out to my patrons, specifically my disciples. Ooh. We have Bart, Katie, Cat, Sir Kitten, Heather, Candy, Claire, and Carol, and of course, Gina. Anyone who wants to join us, you get Discord access. It's only $5 a month. Pop on over there and I will chat with you soon. And now here is the fixed better quality version of the second episode. Yeah, the first one was really bad, I'm sorry, y'all. And if you have any questions, go ahead and drop them in the comments. Hello, and let's try this again. We're on Tracing Trauma episode two. I have Korea on here. And how would you like to introduce yourself, Korea? Yeah, so I'm uh, courageous. Uh, my pronouns are they, she. And um, I have been an atheist for about three years, but I was deconstructing for probably 10 years before that. Okay. You have you in what age group 10 years ago? When when was 10 years ago? This is... Um, I was about... 12-ish? Yeah, I was about 19. Okay. So you're already an adult, and then you decide, hey, this isn't for me. I'm going to start deconstructing. What led you to that or where would you like to start is maybe where i should ask would you like to start at the beginning go over kind of what type of christian what denomination you were let's start there so i feel like i always like i had a lot of questions um i you know so i was always like thinking about things like i feel like when i was like 14 there was a passage in the bible that was like no big deal to everybody else and i almost had like a mental breakdown over (laughs) um and it was luke four um it was in luke four where jesus has just come back from being tempted in the desert for um 30 days Mm -hmm. and he comes back and his hometown is like he he tells them something and the people are so enraged that they have him up against a cliff and they want to push him off and kill him and all it says is that jesus passed through and I was like, and, and then it just moves on to the next chapter. It com- starts telling a completely different story. And as someone who has been in love with stories since I was a tiny child, um, I I played pretend way longer than my friends. They were like, um, we're 11 now. We shouldn't be doing this anymore. And I'm like, but I want story. <laughs> but, like, but I love Santa. Um, uh, and so... Um, as someone who is in love with stories, I was like, what do you mean? Like, how could this sacred holy text think that this was a proper way to tell a story? I have so many questions. Like when it says Jesus passed through, does it mean he was like Andre the Giant being like, everybody move? And they had no choice but to move. Did he literally walk through them? Because if he, if any... You know, like, I was coming up with all of these scenarios, and every single one of them, I was like, if that happened, half of them would bow down to their feet and immediately yeah. worship him and, like, do whatever to, like... And then the other half, the which I think would be the majority, would be convinced that he was some kind of 
demon or something hmm. that and would it would have spread everywhere he would have been crucified way sooner than he was yeah so yeah. i was if well, i think sense. of all of these things why didn't god mm-hmm. you know because i was taught biblical inerrancy that the bible was a hundred percent truth and that everything in it was exactly what god wanted it to be and so when i was reading some of these passages i'd be like really and like that's i think that's one of the interesting things i think christianity whenever they moved to an area of inerrancy they really did themselves a disservice because what where there are contradictions sure some of them are easily explained or you can make general loopholes but as soon as you add in inerrancy you're shooting yourself in the foot like it's either perfect or it's not and there's literally no way with translation in place that anything could be perfect. Um, so was your entire family Christian? Were you raised Christian? Oh, yes. So from so, birth? Yo, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. From birth, I was dedicated. So this is kind of a funny story because my name is Korea Holly. And when I was dedicated, the pastor said Korea Holland instead. <laughs> and so that's I make a joke that that's why I'm an atheist is because those countries got dedicated instead of me. So you're just never technically saved because that pastor messed up. <laughs> but um, so I, so yeah, my my mom she um, so my mom's side of the family is Jewish. Uh, my mom came from a very Jewish family, but like more of a culturally Jewish family. Uh, sure. You know, I don't know how to say this in a way that isn't anti-Semitic, because I was raised Christian, but. Well, the way that my mom explained it to me is that her family was like the Jewish equivalent of Christians who only go to church on Easter and Christmas. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. That's why I actually feel like, no hate to anybody who's like a really devout Jewish, but I, I feel like almost every friend I've had in my life that's been Jewish is exactly the same. You know, they'll show up for family events, special holidays, but they're not going to be having a Shabbat dinner every Saturday. My grandpa was only showing up if he got a present or he was getting fed. Like, yeah. you know, so. That's how my best friend in L.A. was, too. Like, totally. Um, yeah. so when I was, um, so my mom, when she was 18, she became a Christian. Um, and she she actually um, traveled with a deaf and hearing ministry group for about seven years um, and that is why she is now fluent in American Sign Language. Um, it's something I've always wanted to learn more um, but uh, she um, so she became very immersed in the evangelical Christian culture okay. but um, you know deep down she's always been left feminist and uh, very um, you know like an open-minded open-hearted person so a lot of that kind of contradicted especially mm. Once we once um, they moved to the Midwest, the Midwest Christian culture, Midwest Christian culture, (laughs) which my dad is kind of to his core. My dad has been studying apologetics since he was in junior high. That makes sense. I was going to say, how do you go from this liberal feminist view uh, or not you, but your mother goes from this liberal feminist view of like Judaism and falling right into literalist evangelicalism is quite a jump. So I was going to say, where did that bridge happen? But of course, if your dad was raised 
more in a similar light to this literalism, I guess it would uh, yeah. explain some things. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you know, so I, I was two years old when uh, my parents moved from uh, Southern California to Missouri because they couldn't afford the cost of living after having me. And so, um, so they moved and then, and even though I was, you know, basically from two to 32 lived in Missouri, I never felt like I belonged there. Yeah. I, you know, like sometimes I would be, um, cause the church that I grew up in was a very like progressive liberal non-denominational church. Mm. They still had some problems, but sure. in the, especially in Southwest Missouri, was a very progressive church that like taught that you know that women aren't just supposed to be like submissive servants to men and things mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. but it had it was such a young church that it didn't have a youth program so my parents would take me to a mega church in the area and that one was assemblies of god and everything that comes with that and um so i was getting two very conflicting messages <laughs> I was going to say, not everything has to be a youth program. You know, you don't have to drive to a mega church just because there's no youth group. It's going to be okay. <laughs> um. yeah. so, it was something that um, then. Is that where the trauma begins? The mega church? No, no. I okay. mean, it didn't help. It didn't. Sure. Like my mom was a very, uh, you know, she, she went back to school when I was in junior high, she got her master's in psychology and she became a counselor. And the, one of the youth pastors at that mega church, the biggest mega church in our area was telling people to not go see my mom as a counselor because her kids worship weird. What does that mean? How do you, how does a kid worship weird? Right. Did you ever get an explanation on that? Like, I'm trying to picture what that means, and I don't know. Like, I'm I'm sure it just meant I was, like, I don't know, dancing in a really weird way. Um, Because I was socially awkward and didn't know what I was doing. Um, But, so, I... So, the way... um, Part of the reason that my mom converted to Christianity is because, um, so her mom passed away when she was 16 Mm. and her, she grew up unwanted. So she was the third girl. And at the time that my grandmother found out she was pregnant, she did not want a third child trapped in a loveless marriage. She had just found out that her husband was having an affair with a 17 year old babysitter. And she did not want to move forward with the pregnancy, but my grandpa really wanted a boy. And instead, my mom was born. And so, you know, she's the the third of of three girls. And Lori was my grandpa's favorite. Lisa was my grandma's favorite. And my mom was the third unwanted child. Why they got to pick favorites? Yeah. Well, then when my mom was nine, they got divorced and they had a really, really messy divorce. And he married a month later, he married his eight month pregnant mistress. And they had three boys. Oh, well. Yeah. Wow. And Greg 
was Ronnie's uh, Ronnie's favorite, my grandpa's second wife. Eric was my grandpa's favorite. And Brett, how did they all know who was the favorites? Like, who's giving out this information? Because my my grandpa was someone where it was obvious. Like, okay. <laughs> He would shower his favorite with affection, you know, the the women too. Like, I don't think my grandma was really trying to like be like, oh, well, this Lisa is my favorite, but yeah. it was the one that she had the special bond with and she didn't have that bond with my mom. You know, my mom, like my grandmother was uh, a woman in the 60s. You know, if you've ever watched like Mad Men and you see what like, you know, Betty goes through with her husband's you know infidelity and mm. you know it's it's just something i've seen it just from watching like you know my grandparents and, and just hearing the stories about also favoritism so that's interesting yeah and so my mom and my uncle brett were the third unwanted children of the the bunch and they are the two that became christians separately <laughs> and so she had a very strong bond with um my uncle brett Okay. And so because of that, my sister and I had a very, very strong bond with my uncle. Sure. And my uncle, he converted to Messianic Judaism because he, his mom was more devoutly Jewish than my grandmother was. She was mm-hmm. the kind that would go to, um, go to, um, to the synagogue on a regular basis. Her faith was very important to her. Um, not to say that it's not important to, to secular Jews. It's just not like she like walked the walk, you know? And, um, and so when my uncle became a Christian, he really missed that side of his heritage and his culture. So he converted and he decided it was really important to him to move to Israel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I I want to just give this disclaimer. I am still learning about what is politically going on in Israel. So whenever I'm talking about this, I don't mean any shade to people living in Israel. My uncle had really severe mental health issues. Mm. Good and disclaimer, because when... same, not with the mental health issues, but like my knowledge about Israel and Palestine only goes X far. And it's like that much of a thousand year long thing going on here but okay go ahead so when my uncle moved to israel he had a complete and total psychotic break really yeah he very quickly started spiraling we would get um calls from him saying that the government was out to get him we had no idea like his we didn't find out until years later that he was undiagnosed bipolar and he was being he was unmedicated and he was experiencing psychotic features and he was completely away from his family like literally in and right right and he would call my mom and say that the government was out to get him and that jesus was a fraud and at one point he threatened to hang her from an effing flagpole like this is a very like mentally distraught person mm-hmm. and I remember because it was, I had just started high school. It was like my first or second week of high school. And I came home and my dad was home. And that was weird because yeah. he should have been working. 
And my parents sat me and my younger sister down and explained that my uncle had wrapped himself in a blanket, poured gasoline on that blanket, and he set himself on fire. I should have given a content warning about this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I forgot to do it at the top, too. Content warning, uh, trigger warning, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, but... Undo it from your brain. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, and so, and he had third-degree burns over 90% of his body. So it oh, was he survived? No. No. No, it wasn't a question of if he was going to serve or, like, die. It was when. Got it. And he passed away five days later on my 15th birthday. I'm sorry. And that really shook me. Um, yeah. You know, um, my uncle lived in New York when the when September 11th happened. He saw from his apartment building the towers fall. And I think about this every September, from September 1st, when I found out, to September 11th, of what she went through and what she saw on that day and how much that impacted him. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to believe that there is a loving God that has everything in control and is working things out when you are faced with that two months later my dad was diagnosed with cancer and so i went from that to my dad being sick yeah and my dad had cancer three times in five years wow my dad is still with us he is in remission now he has been in remission for good uh at least 12 years but what we went through as a family, it had changed us to our core. There's no way it couldn't. Losing somebody and then going straight into like almost future grief over your father, like there's no way that that doesn't change the dynamics of everything. And it forces you to grow up really quickly as well. Because you might, I can't imagine that fear of like, expecting to have to take care of the family almost it was that but it was also dealing with my dad he um the he had two bone marrow transplants for the first one they took his bone marrow and they purified it and then they put it back yep. for the second one it was someone else's and there's this thing called graft versus host disease where you have to keep the person's if, if the person's immune system is too healthy mm -hmm. it will attack the new bone marrow and won't accept it but right. if it's not strong enough the person will die from illnesses that should be no problem like a common cold or cough or mm. flu mm -hmm. that could take the person out and so my dad was on very high dose steroids and steroid rage happens even if it's prescribed by a doctor. Yeah. And the, the third time that he had cancer, there was someone else in my church who had cancer as well and also went through a bone marrow transplant. And he was only 
25. Um, he was such a tremendously sweet person. And I would talk with his wife and be like, so, you know, is he, is, is Nathan yelling at you? Has he pushed you? Has he, you know, been banging down doors? Has, you know, has he threatened you? And she was just like, no, no. Like he got mad and broke a controller at once, mm-hmm. but he doesn't treat me like that. Yeah. And, you know, my dad, he had to have both of his hips replaced because um, because of the high dose steroids that actually caused the bones to to start collapsing. Um, really? I've yeah. never I didn't know that was a symptom or like. a Yeah. Side effect. Well, yeah. Well, what happened to my dad's hips happened to Nathan's spine. It started collapsing mm. on itself and they couldn't stop it. And right before he died, he was in so much pain. He was in unbearable amount of pain. Mm. And he was still asking his doctor if there was anything that he could do for the doctor. So for me, watching someone who deeply loved his wife, who would, I mean. And this is when he was 25? 25. He died two days uh, he did. He died like two days before his 26th birthday. Mm. And this was someone who deeply, deeply loved his wife. Wanted They wanted to have a family. They wanted to have kids together. He adored her. Yeah. He was this free spirit who never wore shoes in church because that's how he felt free. You know, he um, would help anyone if they needed anything. Sure. What kind of God lets my dad, who was being verbally and abusive Mm -hmm. to my mom and my sisters, and or my sister and myself, live, but let Nathan die? Mm. And I hated myself for asking these kind of questions because it wasn't like I wanted my dad to die. I just wanted him to stop being abusive. But I couldn't reconcile how a loving God would make that choice to let a a man in his 50s who had kids, who had a wife, he he decided to let my dad live. But a 25-year-old who had his whole life ahead of him could have spent the rest of his life with his wife. Hmm. They could have had a family. And it's a it's a fair question to ask. I mean, not only just because of all the trauma that you were going through in that moment, but the fact that there were so many parallels that you could actually um, judge, like almost on a hand to hand basis is it makes it a little bit even more unique than somebody. uh, Again, I don't want to like pit traumas against each other, but like it's a little bit more unique even than just somebody being like, oh, my father died of cancer. But to watch somebody else go down a parallel path and then have the outcomes be entirely different. It, those questions are natural. Um, oh yeah. And... It's completely natural. And I knew yeah, that if my yeah. dad had died, that I would have been devastated. Of course. You know, course. like it's not like I was wanting, you know, but like me dealing with these questions meant that I was wanting something bad to happen to him. No, no. But... I was wanting accountability from God. And yeah. I think that's I think that's a fair thing for anybody to want 
you know, especially if it comes down to losing a family member or being like, why? I mean, it's the oldest question ever, probably, probably predates God is the why when it comes to death. Um, so I just want to make sure that like, you're not holding yourself accountable to that now. Um, but so in addition to the passage that you gave, is that kind of at the same time about where you start having these realizations that you're like trying yeah, to like was, kind of I get was, mentally out of the church? I was 20, 20 years old. Um, it really started um, the summer before I turned 20 when my dad um, was recovering from a bone marrow transplant and I, I took off uh, a semester of college to be his caretaker because my mom was working you know, two, three plus jobs to provide for our family. Sure. My sister was, you know, a 15 year old. She couldn't be a caretaker. So I, I was, it, it, you know, and I, I was, I was happy to do it, but it was crazy to me to see how my dad could talk with me and be calm and, you know, and then he would get on the phone with my mom and just start screaming at her and screaming at her over th nothing over things that made like it was like this is no big deal and he was screaming at the top of his lungs and it was like how can you because not only does that mean that it means that that she had the ability to control it You know, like he had the ability to turn it on and then turn it off. And he decided that he was going to, you know, because he, he, and I think it's it genuinely, and I hate to, to say it like this, but he, I think he liked me better than he liked my little sister because she was severely ADHD and he was severely ADHD. And when you see parts of yourself in someone else, that can be very difficult for that person. And I, I have, I've, I learned, I did, I learned at 29 that I have ADHD as well, but you know, I was able to do really well in school. I was, you know, I was able to, you know, it took me a long time to get diagnosed because I, you know, it didn't present the way that my sister was diagnosed when she was, you know, in like kindergarten. Right. And, you know, and so the fact that, like, my dad would treat me one way, but then treat my sister and my mom a completely different way was so difficult for me because he was the only prominent man in my life. And so if I'm watching the man that is supposed to be teaching me what love is, that God supposedly chose to be my dad. Yeah it really starts to like mess with a person who has just entered adulthood and and in the midst of that i lost my best friend she didn't die but she was she was someone who um i was unbelievably close with her um she when my uh, my freshman year um when i was going through my uncle's death and my dad having cancer she really um, took me under her wing and became my mentor. 
Um, and then after she graduated from high school, our relationship changed. We mm. changed from being mentor-mentee to being friends to being insanely close friends. And then my dad got sick for the second time. And, you know, and she would, like, call my mom, mom. She would call my dad, dad. Um, she was uh, very, you know, like, very close with us. But then when my dad got cancer and we were, you know, I was like, hey, like, you are my best friend. I'm needing support right now. She couldn't handle it. Yeah. And right before the su summer, my... So she, like, distanced herself actively because of it? Yes, like just yes. ghosting you myself. and then when i tried to ask her what was going on she said that i and uh, this is stuff that i've had to like work out in therapy and i'm but she told me that i was a damaging relationship in her life and she couldn't know me anymore uh, uh, well yeah and like fair everybody set your boundaries do what you need yeah, take totally. care of yourself because your mental health is important but like why you got to say it like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was something that, for me, it was like I shut down. Every relationship that I had at that point was a safe relationship. But yeah. for the next, I don't know, five years, probably longer than that, I kept new relationships at a very surface level. Um, I was terrified to date because if a girl who was my friend could hurt me that badly, what could a guy do if I fell in love with a guy and he decided I was a damaging relationship that he couldn't have in his life? Um, and so I really just closed off my heart. And I then, after I went to community college, I then transferred to a very conservative Christian college because I couldn't afford college. Um, my parents, because of my mom's student loans and my dad's medical debt, they they like they couldn't even like co-sign a, a loan with me. Why? So why does the conservative Christian college is it cheaper? I don't know enough about Christian colleges. I guess. So most of them are very expensive. Most of them right. are, but this particular college had a work program. And so, oh, so it's they had, what? Yes, <laughs> yes. I hear a work program, and I'm like, mm hmm, uh -huh. Yeah. So they had fifty. They it's this. It's still open now. They have fifty different workstations across campus, and you work fifteen hours a week, and then one forty-hour work week during your break, and that covers your tuition. That's not bad. No, it wasn't bad. I was, was worried my friend went to one where they made them wake up at four in the morning to do drills and prayer from four to six. Like we're talking running laps. Then they immediately had to go to work and they worked from, I think, eight to 11. And then they had three hours of class and then had to work from like five to seven. And I was like, that's insane. And they have to get up and every day, every day, across campus, everyone, like all is a smaller one. It was like 2,000 kids at this college. And I was like, that's a cult. Like, what are you guys? Yeah, I'm... They're trying to get you starved and food deprived and no sleep, waking up early in the morning and exhausted before you even go to work. I'm like, that's not. She got out of there, thankfully. But so 15 hours almost sounds like a breeze. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I definitely like. Could have had it worse. Um, it was really great that I was able to graduate without debt. Oh, you graduated and, from there? 
Yes. That's good. Yeah, I graduated. And, but socially, it was very difficult for me because at the time, I still had a lot of internalized homophobia. And, mm. um, but I also, you know, my mom being a counselor had really like taught me to put myself in other people's shoes and try to, and, you know, and, I always, even though I, you know, I believed that what the Bible said was true. I didn't understand why homosexuality was a sin, why God would create people and then like say that the way they. Well, according to my TikTok comments is because butt stuff makes God cry. So did you think about that? (laughs) I, I, I went through like an evolution of being like, well, it's a sin, but we all sin and, yeah. you know, everybody. And then like I went through like like this this ev- evolution. But like for me, it was really like, you know, I have uh, an issue with food. I always like for for years have had an issue with emotionally eating, binging sometimes. And the thing that can be really difficult about that, as opposed to like, if you're an alcoholic, you stop drinking, you know, and like, that's easier said than done, but you stop yeah, drinking. Yeah, yeah, but you can totally avoid it. Right. Yeah. You can't stop eating. You right. cannot stop eating. You will die. So yeah. it's, it's kind of, it was something that- I never I, even thought about that, but that's, that's a really good point. That's so Yeah. And so for scary. me, it was like, it caused me to have this like radical empathy because- I was like, okay, I can't imagine what it would be like. I had no idea I was bisexual at the time, but I had no idea what it would be like if I was only sexually attracted to people that I could never act on it or I'd go to hell. Yeah. Like, okay. that's a good you one. You know, that, like to me, it was like, you can't stop feeling attraction to people. You can't stop, you know, right. like that feeling that like romantic longing to connect with another person and be wanted mm-hmm. and seen. And so, you know, especially towards the end, I was just like, I don't even care if it's a sin. I don't care if when I get to heaven, God says, you know, you did all of this, but you did this and it did not honor me because you chose to love gay people. Then God was going to. There you choose to love gay people. Right. (laughs) The one thing I hated is love. Right. Not even that you yourself were acting in a homosexual capacity. It was the loving of gay people that will be the sin. Because that's how evangelicals think for whatever God knows reason. Well, yeah, because they like, you know, I didn't get this from my main church, but especially the Assemblies of God church that I went to for the youth program. You know, they really like say things like, you know, every person that you don't tell the gospel to or that you like allow to like, you know, like sin and you don't say anything that their blood will be on your hands. Yeah, it is your job personally to save every single person you come into contact with otherwise you're complicit in their sin i had no idea that i had a a, uh you know an an anxiety disorder so Mm -hmm. that stuff stressed me out i would have to (laughs) trouble sleeping sometimes i bet And, and it's something where i would you know so i went from my very progressive church that like just to give an example so like Ephesians 5, people, a lot of people are, are familiar with it, where it says that, you know, the, the man must love the woman and the woman, the wife must submit to her husband and the man is the head of the household. Mm-hmm. The lens that I was taught in my church about that verse is that in Matthew twenty twenty five through 28, Jesus says that the world 
and um, defines power or defines leadership through who has the power, the authority, and control, but that Jesus defined it through service. And so when Ephesians 5, which Ephesians 1 and 2, 5, 1 and 2 says mutual submission in all things, mm. that when the Ephesians 5 is saying that the man is the head of the household, it means that he's meant to be the greatest servant of the home, not that he's supposed to be this authoritative force that is luring his power over everyone. Take a beat. Everyone hear that? Not using the first wrong. Yeah, no, and like that that was something that like that's what I was taught from my pastors and from my church leaders and my pastors and like same. and from my mom. And What's up, mom? Um <laughs> and No, so, and that's kind of one of those things that I think really added to my deconstruction process as well, because I was raised in the same light and my dad was bipolar, unmedicated, and was verbally abusive and um I just remember the whole thing being like, this unstable guy, the unstable one is the one who's the head of a house, who's like a mentally and emotionally abusive to all of us. I was like, I, I don't trust him as far as I can throw him, not when he's unmedicated. Like, what do you mean he's the head of the house? And my mom at that time was very much in the submission mode where, well, what he says goes. And I'm like, he can't think straight. Like, he has an issue. Like, he literally can't, you know? Um, so I never got that. And now that's one of those things that made me like really take a step back, but sorry, go uh, on. And so, <laughs> and so I would, but I would be, but so I went to this really conservative college where everyone, not, I mean, I won't say absolutely everyone, but the vast overwhelming majority were these very legalistic very small-minded, small-hearted, conservative Christians that had a lot of trouble seeing, you know, tried to make everything black and white and refused to see the gray. Yeah. And I had my own issues like that. Like, I, when I was Christian, I was very devoutly pro-life. I, but like not pro-life the way that like I most, 99% of all pro-life people pissed me off. <laughs> it was like, you don't care, you're like, you're pro-death penalty, you're pro-war, you don't care what happens to the baby after it's born, Yeah. you know, no. but if we actually support these women that are in desperate situations, and if you tell a 16-year-old that she has to have the baby, then we need to not then preach to her personal responsibility when we pressured her into having the kid, uh, like, so... So you're like practicing more so radical empathy where you were yeah. pro-life because, you know, a fetus is a person and they can tap dance. But then also like you have to take care of said kid. Let's get them housing. They need to be clothed. Like you're not just yeah. doing Sunday lunch service. We need to be actually setting them up for a job and success. And let's make sure that the kids are brought in. So you're just, yeah, pro-life, pro-life. Yeah, no, like I, I tried to be an intellectually honest person, even when I was like going through this stuff. But, mm -hmm. you know, um, and when it came, you know, one of the things that really, I mean, I guess, really opened up my my mind and like had me rethinking a lot of things was the 2016 election. Because I didn't, I, I hated both of the candidates. And 
overall, I agreed more with the Democratic side, but being raised by a Calvinist conservative Christian father in a very conservative Christian area and going to a very conservative Christian college, like they like beat into you that if you vote Democrat, then the blood of these babies are on your hands. You know, and so it's back to that complicit sin thing. It's just such a weird, weird yeah, like, modus operandi. Like I don't understand why. Um because it's a very it, they because they know they know if they can make people feel guilty that way they will vote on that one issue alone and that's yeah. what we did oh, yeah. in 2016 i there was so much and there's still so much misinformation about late term abortions but they had me convinced that people you know the day of birth they're going to be no, like yeah and so until 9 months and later okay you know and i i lived in a very red state I voted for Trump, and even if I hadn't voted for Trump, the state still, you know, was Missouri, so it still would have gone for Trump. It did in the 2020 election. I did not vote for him in the 2020 election. Growth. We love to see it. <laughs> Day after Trump won, I knew I had made a horrible, terrible mm. mistake because I saw how the Christian nationalists were emboldened in a way that I had never seen before. And that they were not going to hold him accountable. I remember I was hanging out with one of my friends and uh, her neighbor came over to like drop mil off milk. And I loved this friend because her kids were so much fun and so great to play with. And um, and they were just like really like fun to like imagine with and stuff. And I was playing with one of her boys and I was overhearing her with uh, the neighbor talking about how they were so excited that Trump had won. And that they really believed that Trump was going to be humbled, that God was going to humble Trump. Oh. An excellent precedent. And it took everything in me not to be like, based on fucking what? Sir, grab them by the Like, are you kidding? The most powerful position in this. That's so funny. I love it. Humble him? I love it because they're admitting that they know he's wrong. They're admitting they don't like the, his actions, his rhetoric, his wealth, what he stands for, and how it all flies against Christianity, uh, at least in yeah, paper like, form, at so least in black and white, it all flies against Christianity. And so instead of accepting that he's probably the wrong person, not only for the country, but for a Christian leader... Instead of just admitting that, they just openly jump straight into, but God's gonna change him. <laughs> like, now that he has the position, he's so not like, good. Literally the day after Trump won that I was like, I am politically ignorant about too many topics that directly impact me as a human being. Mm -hmm. And I cannot afford to be that way anymore. Mm -hmm. So I decided to learn more about abortion to learn more about education about health care about housing about law enforcement about you know the criminal uh, justice system about i mean <laughs> everything yeah and i i also grew up in a very very white area i grew up in an area over 90 percent white i checked our census so, I was gonna say, how did you know that? No, I you yeah. checked the census. Okay, you weren't outside taking like one white person, two black people, three. <laughs> in 1906, in the Springfield Town Square, three black men 
were uh, lynched without a trial. It was an event. They made souvenirs. They called it the Easter Offering. What year was this? 1906. Okay. Yeah. It uh, felt a little bit better. Like, I'm st- that's still awful. But for some reason, I thought you said 1996. And I was no. like... No, 1906. Three men were were lynched without a trial. And nothing... There were no consequences whatsoever. It was, you know, because, like, the town leaders aren't going to criminalize themselves, right? So 3,000 black families moved away because they Mm. didn't want to die. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) And the population has never recovered. And so I grew up in a very white space with all of the blind spots that comes with that, with things that, you know, now I look back and I'm like, oh, okay, that was... You know, I, I would, um, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of queer people in my life and I would catch myself thinking things like this girl I went to high school with and, you know, I, I was a server after I graduated from college and I had just been to a very conservative Christian college and I searched her and she was with her girlfriend. And the very first thing I thought was, oh, Rachel became a duck. And then... I immediately was horrified with myself because I was like, that's a human being. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing talking about a person like that? And I had to really be like, okay, I need to expose myself to people who are different than me because this this comes from an inexperience. This comes from yes. being in an echo chamber. Yeah, you know, where you're not with people who are different from you that are. Um, That's such a profound realization that I think so many people don't have. And I don't know whether it's because they just don't allow themselves to be introspective or be emotionally aware enough. But most people have sometimes even intrusive thoughts. Like you said, that wasn't necessarily ever your goal or your intent. And yet it's so oh, yeah. And I didn't, up, I mean, you know? I didn't say that to her. I treated right. her, you know, with I, yeah, I expected you not to, but <laughs> most people even have those intrusive thoughts and realize they're not that they aren't theirs, that they're not inherent to them, that they're just like reacting instead of thinking. So for you to actually take that as a signal that maybe you should, back up and try a more proactive role in seeing the world is a step that I want more people to get into in the future. Now, tomorrow, yesterday. Um, yeah. It's an important step that I think a lot of people are missing, especially right now in America with things like trans bills. You know, maybe if you are terrified of trans people or drag queens, you should meet a trans person. Or drag and that's what, you know, um, I remember the first time I ever learned about non-binary. I knew what, you know, t- trans of, you know, men, you know, I watched Rent and I saw Angel and I thought Angel was a beautiful character. And um, and I I really liked, uh, you know, and so like I had started becoming interest, uh, introduced to that. And then in 2017, I became interested or introduced through the show Billions to a non-binary that was the first time i had ever heard a little non-binary or had it seen any reputation or like representation for it yeah and i thought it was fascinating i didn't you know because i was still a 
believing Christian who thought 100% the Bible is true. I thought that, you know, if God created, was intentional about creating you in your womb, then he was intentional about your gender. But I still wanted to meet people who were non-binary so that I could maybe come to understand it better. So that I could, mm-hmm. and within three months, uh, one of my coworkers came out as non-binary. And they, like, they they changed their their name. They um, went through this uh, process, and you know, and we became really good friends. And now I have come out as non-binary. <laughs> it's an infection. <laughs> the infection is spreading. <laughs> so you know, I I went through this entire you know kind of evolution of like starting from a very homophobic, transphobic you know, white centric place. Yeah. To now I, you know, I, I'm, I'm still wanting to make more connection with people who are, are different from me, especially. Yeah. It's like know. a lifelong thing. Yeah. It's a, it's an education journey, if you will. Um, what I would say, cause we're getting close to like that 10 minute away mark is. Got into like the most recent I... trauma. We're gonna have to have you back on when I'm not like breaking Riverside. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, so I wanted to make that bridge again just to see, like, okay, so like a like a roundabout quick explanation. This is how I fixed it. It's not gonna be like that, but so <laughs> you had this trauma that uh, between your uncle and your father really made you question God's authority and or divine purpose if you will and then you were still at that time stayed christian but that's when the doubt started to come up you uh went to college and then you slowly but surely after you graduated started to open your eyes to other kinds of people and how much of that is i guess interplays so how much of opening yourself up to the world healed the trauma from when your uncle passed and your father was diagnosed or do you see um your journey of healing those just specifically those parts of the trauma in a different way where did you find the strength to kind of rebalance that um so with my uncle the bulk of the healing has actually come recently because ever since i became an atheist I have wanted to learn more about Judaism and about Jewish culture to kind of mm. see where the line between like his mental illness and like the 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 culture and the heritage and the faith and like just how much anti-Semitism is in like Christianity itself that I had never yeah. ever noticed um, and how that that I would have been so confusing for him and why I could understand why he didn't feel like he really had a place. Mm-hmm. And then I, and so that, that has been really helpful as far as for my, when it comes to like the trauma with my dad, it was really just, you know, with wanting to seek out and become friends with people who believed things that were different than me. I started becoming friends with atheists who mm-hmm. would ask me some very poignant questions. And I had essentially come to like an own personal goal that I needed to have 
two to do the research to find two pieces of information. So one was scientific evidence to prove that the creation uh, narrative in Genesis happened, and historical archaeological evidence that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Because if I could find those two pieces of evidence, to me, everything else in the Bible could be possible. Goodbye. You'd also be the most famous person ever. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I, you know, and I was really, I was going through all of this, do these different, you know, and I'm, I was not a very scientifically literate person. I'm still not. I, that's something I really struggle with. I love Forrest Valkai. I love Getzit Kibben. I have to watch their stuff multiple times so that I might get half of it the, like, thir- eighth time I watch it. Same. <laughs> um, but it just wasn't adding up to me. I would listen to these Christian scientists trying to explain how the the creation narrative in Genesis was possible. And <laughs> I would... Anytime uh, someone says Christian scientists, not like the religion Christian science, but I just hear Ken Ham's voice in my head and it hurts. <laughs> it's painful because I would be like, why are they forgetting the most... I'm the scientific moron. And yet I understand Einstein's law of relative gravity or like, you know, like I would be like, why are they forgetting some of the most basic content? Like, They're concept? not forgetting. They have to purposefully. Un- I know. And I'm <laughs> bad about it. And he like he loves science, but he couldn't give me an answer that I found satisfying. And then when it came to. Wait, um, is your dad a creationist? Oh, hardcore creationist. Hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, believes a, <laughs> that's terrifying. A six day creation, like, yeah. Um, even with the science is, love, even with the science. I mean, he wrestles with that. That's his like biggest thing because he, he's someone, you know, when I started going through like evidence for the resurrection, I started seeing a lot of problems with it. And, yeah. you know, I could get into all of that. But I, I was finding it very, I was like, but how do we know that? you know like that these are even like even if these are all eyewitness accounts i learned later they weren't but you know even if these were eyewitness accounts you know they could have eaten moldy bread or something they could have been grieving and wanted it so badly to be true that people you know because like people can create memories that didn't happen that ergot happens to be yeah (laughs) so i i realized that and like one of the biggest things was, and this is after I realized, like learned that the gospels weren't written by eyewitnesses, was mm. I had a pastor, and this was a different church because I had switched church at this time, but I had a pastor who said that the author of Luke wrote his gospel four years after Jesus was, um, was crucified, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. And that's why that gospel is so reliable is because the memories were so fresh. And it took everything in me not to literally laugh out loud and be like, does he not think we have Google on our phones? Like, what? Like That's I'm another really- thing. All of us deconstructing in like these later years, um, I feel like a lot of it doesn't have to do necessarily with us just being like older and wiser. It's literally just the advent of technology and it becoming unavoidable. 
Like, I know so many Mormons who avoid the CES letter, um, like it's a plague, but like it could pop up at any time if you Google the wrong thing. So like, <laughs> uh, answers start coming out in ways you might not even want them to. You might be Googling a verse about, cre or like a verse from Genesis because you're looking to read it, you know, and then you fall into a whole thing about how creationism doesn't make sense and you're accidentally unwinding your theology, um, which is like a good thing. It's a bad thing also though, because I think it causes dissonance for a lot of people. And you mentioned that too, especially when it comes to like gay people. I think earlier in the episode, I said that one of the biggest um, harms to the church is just the literalism thing, you know, by tying themselves to perfection or nothing, it tills <laughs> the opportunity to have a religion really. One but of the no things Oh, so uh, <laughs> the other thing is though homosexuality and the fact that they've made this a huge target point and have for the past 30 years is the second nail in the coffin for evangelical Christianity because it forces so many people into it because like while gay people are minorities while we're rare at like five to seven percent it's in by no way rare enough that you'll never meet somebody who's gay you know so it's forcing Christians to be dissonant in a way that's like, I know Bob, I like Bob, I have to hate Bob, and putting them into that box and making them question why they hate somebody else that they actually don't hate, but they have to pretend to hate, is a disservice to Christianity in terms of how many people are leaving because of homosexuality alone. Yeah, but it's not just that. It's also like learning about people from with different like learning about different religions and learning about, yeah. you know, one of my closest friends is pagan. Mm -hmm. And and she would be like, so you're choosing to believe 100 percent of the Bible is true. And I was like, well, it has to be true because that's, you know, like it has to because it otherwise to. it's not God's word. That's the option. It was just like, okay, so what about the verse that says that thou shall not allow a witch to live? You know, and then like... You Gotta know, bury your darlings. That's a Yeah, phrase. and like, you know, verses that say that Jews are the synagogue of Satan. And yet, like, I have family that's Jewish. Like... Am I supposed to believe all of them are in this Senate? You know, it's and like Jesus was Jewish. Right. <laughs> like, what does it mean? <laughs> right. And so it really just made me like there were just so many things. But then, you know, the the point for me that was kind of my breaking point, because I had gone through and the one thing, because I was starting to be like, I don't believe all of this is truth. I don't believe all of this is real. Yeah. But I couldn't explain the experiences that I had with the Holy Spirit. You know, I was like, but I've had these experiences, so what am I supposed to to do with that? Mm -hmm. And um one of my coworkers, um, who is a friend, we would talk all the time, he told me and he he was an atheist and he was saying it with the best intentions that he said, he was like, Korea, I just want you to know that if you become an atheist, you will go through dark periods of your life mm. where you will regret it. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he was like, you will go through really difficult times where you wish that you had a God to cry out to. And he shared with me about a health scare that he went through um, 
he didn't tell me what the health scare was, but I had a pretty strong impression that it was uh, HIV. Um, which, like, I don't want to add to that stigma, but he has a very severe anxiety disorder. So for him, waiting to, like, get that call to find out if he had it was, like, he was having, he was in it. He said he was alone in his room fighting off panic attack after panic attack. Yeah, been there, and been there. wished that he believed in a God that he could cry out to, that he could pray to for comfort to make him feel like he wasn't alone in what he was going through. And because he was an atheist, he didn't have that. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that all night. And the next day I came to work and I asked him, you know, was your sister there with you? And he was like, yeah, but I don't really like to share my sexual health with her. And I was like, okay, that's, that's fair. What if you had contacted me? Or, you know, you contacted some friends, you asked us, like, hey, I really need you right now. Can you please come over? And we just sat with you. And whether it was we, you know, listened to the pain that you were going through and the anxiety so that you didn't feel alone in it, helped you take your mind off it entirely by telling jokes, by watching a show together, by doing something that let you know that you were not alone in what you were experiencing. Would you have still felt the need to cry out to a God? And he looked at me right in the eyes and he said, not even a little bit, not at once, not once, not at all. Interesting. Like a halogen went off in my brain that made me realize that every time that I had experienced the Holy Spirit, that what I really felt was the love and support of people around me. Yeah. I felt them touching me. I felt them putting their arms around me. I felt... Them, I heard them praying for me because they cared and they cared about what I was going through and they wanted to make sure that I didn't feel alone mm. in it. And I realized that all of it came from socialization and the brain. Yeah. And, you and know, unity, and someone, unity connection is everything for human empathy and human just social health. Yeah. And so... That that was kind of like that was the literal moment I be like I accepted I had become an atheist and that I didn't believe in any of it. Mm-hmm. And like that was when like I stopped having hell anxiety. Like it was like an instant for me. Like it was like, oh, well, none of this is real. Like from what I've learned, like these things from the Bible aren't real. So, you know, because I was a literalist, it was like if one thing is wrong, it's all wrong. That's why that theology is so dangerous. Um, yeah, is because oh, yeah. like the moment that I decided it was bullshit, I decided all of it was bullshit. I didn't need any of it. Uh, yep. What I needed was people, which is why when I go through a really difficult time, if I'm going through a period of depression, if I'm going through a period of anxiety, and it's a really fine balance because you don't want to become dependent on people. Yeah, but I'm very quick to be like, "Hey, I'm having a hard time." can you know can can we talk or you know just even let just let people know like hey i'm not doing okay right now and then they can decide if they want to reach out to me or not right and um and yeah so that i i hope that i know that was like a long answer to like no it was good i saw more questions uh, i do actually (laughs) because You know, I've gone through even more since becoming into the sure, that I should sure. absolutely, if you wanted me to back, come back on, that I can I do. get into We're going to have you on for another episode sometime in the future. I don't know what that looks like uh, because this is all new. 
episode two. I don't think I even did like a proper introduction. Hi, everyone on YouTube. Welcome to Untracing Trauma. We had technical snafus in the beginning, and I will no longer be using Riverside, but glad I paid them. Um, I did like a year up front. And now I'm like regretting it. I'm like, why oh, did no. I do that? I could just use StreamYard and paid StreamYard the same, I think. But we'll see. Um, anyway, speaking of money things, and somebody else in the chat brought up the fact that there was Discord pinging going on. That's what the pings were. I don't know if that was on your side, Kreia, but there's been pinging. I apologize for that. You know, um, yeah, yeah. It's Discord, I guess. I closed my Discord window and it I still happens, but it's cool. Uh, but speaking of Discord and money things, I now have a Patreon. Something that I teased last week when we were doing this show and I haven't um, announced, I guess, like on TikTok or Instagram yet. We, yeah, now have just two basic levels. Nothing super fancy yet. I might extend that and have more like tiers for like a special exclusive podcast or content or something we haven't figured that part out but you let me know and i'll or like maybe a free shirt or something who knows anyway the most basic tiers are just like two dollars that's just a tip tier to say thank you and um just hopefully i guess share support i feel so weird talking about patreon stuff by the way and a five dollar tier which is called the discipleship it's fun it's cheeky join my cult and for the $5 tier, that gets you access to our Discord, the Jagezos Discord, where we can talk about whatever. If you have questions about a video, we can talk about that. Or you want to just, like, talk to me at 3 in the morning when I can't sleep, that's how you do it. So check that out. Uh, all the links are in my bio, which is kind of hard to find on YouTube, but you have to just click the extender link. It's a thing. Or in my shorts, I always post, oh, it's in the description of this video that you're watching now. Huh. Okay, my ramble's over. You know where to find me. My name is Jugazus. Korea, where do they find you? Do they, you have any um, projects coming up or anything exciting? And then we'll move into the Q&A portion. Yeah. So I am I'm actually going to be starting my own YouTube channel this year. I would really like to get it up and running within the next month or two. Um, I am just trying to like make my logo now because I figured out what I'm going to call it and what I'm going to call each section. Um, so I'm going to have, um, so my, my YouTube channel is going to be called Courageous Hearts. Um, my, so my username on TikTok, on, on YouTube and on, uh, Twitter and Instagram. Mm -hmm. Uh, that that is it it's courageous but it's spelt like my name and um and whenever i get the channel up and running i'm going to be calling it courageous hearts um and um i'm gonna have two segments so um the first one is what i call the three l's of uh allyship or advocacy um so it's um listening to marginalized voices learning from their experiences and lifting their voices up. So I love that. Um, I'm going to be talking with people in the deconstruction community who um, are, you know, so that we can get different perspectives. Um, I'm also going to have discussions about deconstruction, whether it's the work that a scholar is doing that um, I think is a very interesting um, perspective, or if it's someone telling their, their deconstruction story and their experiences. Um, and that is going to be called uh, Courageous Heart Stories. 
Love it. So um, I am going to be getting that started um, with uh, this year. And uh, and then, yeah, you can find me. Um, I, I'm probably the most active on Twitter. Um, that is my pro my uh, my current like the platform where I'm the most followers. I'm almost at like 5000 followers, which I know like isn't a lot compared to some people. But uh, your Twitter I- is banging, though. I I pretty much only get interactions from you. <laughs> yeah, I but it's good because you like keep me up to date more than the news on TikTok does sometimes. So yeah, I I share a lot about the growing dangers of Christian nationalism. I also and uh, to to educate about it. I also share a lot, and when I say a lot, I mean a lot of memes. <laughs> so if you like memes, uh, check out my Twitter. Check it out. I, I don't think we have any questions coming in. Um, I did check a little bit. We only have like one guy yelling in here, so there's that. Let me let me check him out real quick. All on Earth felt the fire. Satan pulls down from heaven. The dates: October tenth, two thousand and five, and March thirty first, twenty twenty. Other times, Satan did not make it speak. Those two. Oh, they're deleted. I Try sorry. To I think I've interacted with that person before, and they're very anti-Semitic. So, oh, bye, hey, guy. That was the only question I had: is why, why not Allah? Why not talk about Allah? Which I've covered a billion times, but because I'm not Muslim, I was I'm not, not raised Muslim. in Islam, and I don't know enough about. I, Islam. There are some amazing people to support if you want to support, um, you know, ex-Islam voices. Um, you know, infidel noodle. Uh, infidel noodles Latin, are amazing. You know, Latin like Latin. Yeah, like there, are, there are people whose voices like listen to their stories, listen to their experiences, mm-hmm. share other people's experiences too. But um. I, I, I think it's important to stay in your lane and speak about what you know. I know what it's like to be a Jewish person who was raised exclusively Christian and became an atheist. And yeah. so I have a lot of experiences with that. And so that is what I talk about. <laughs> also, it's ironic because they asked, why don't you talk about Allah? Like, that's all we've been doing this whole entire conversation. Like, they do realize Allah is just God Yeah, in Arabic, right? That The word is just God. It's the same God. Like, if you are talking about, even if you think of them as two different entities and you're talking about the Christian God, it would still be saying Christian Allah. Because it's a word. Anyway. <laughs> yep. So, huh. We've been doing it all day, my man. Yep. Anyway, I guess that wraps it about up. I'm going to double check chat just one more time for questions. I'm not seeing them, but thank you to everyone for being here. Um, I will see you next week. I don't know the time yet. Right now, we're gonna. I'm going to narrow it down to Saturdays and Sundays. I was filming a music video in L.A., Again, if you want pictures, go to the Discord. Uh, I'll send you more there if you ask for them. Um, I don't know when that'll be out either. But yeah, so I was helping Mother Victory do that. And that's why we're on a Monday tonight. But next week, we'll be back on Saturday or Sunday. I don't know with who. We have a lot of guests lined up. And I just need to figure out which one's going to be which. But I do tentatively want to say it's I Blame Bill. As long as she's free next weekend. so much. (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna be good humans on the planet she is she's amazing i would just like 
and I mean this, I know I'm, I'm bisexual and she's bisexual, but I don't mean this in a sexual, I would just follow her around and be like, tell me all of your stories. Give me all my, <laughs> like, tell me everything. Like, she was supposed to be the first guest and I messed it up because I, I sent out a calendar thing and she scheduled herself in for a date. And then, um, like the morning of, she's like, what do you need me to do today? And I was like, it never even sent me an email saying that like this was happening. So I didn't set anything up. It was terrible. But uh, yeah, hopefully this weekend. We'll see what she says. And I'll announce it here as soon as I know it. I have more information. But outside of that, I'm going to also establish this as a podcast. And when, I don't know. But I have already had people ask, like, you know, because people prefer different things. And someone just wants to listen to it in a car and stuff. Totally get it. I'm a podcast person more than I am a live person. So I'll have the first episode edited down sometime this week. And it'll be on Spotify and all those places. Um, but yeah, thank you all for your interactions. And today we hit 30,000 subscribers. That's so exciting. Ah! So that's very cool. Um, how, how many hours? I'm not monetized. That's yeah. Okay. <laughs> how many hours are you at? I'm at seventeen hundred out of the needed four thousand. Okay, so but if you want to talk, how many hours am I at with shorts? I have twenty five thousand hours. Thirty second intervals that don't count. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I do have nine million. We're at nine million views out of ten million shorts views, which is the other way you can get to monetization. So. As long as I have, like, one more viral short, we're in there. But, yeah, I know right now, unfortunately, the video I had get, like, 4 million views would have been worth something like $7,000 if I were already in the program. But I'm not. So I probably should have started this a little earlier. We'll have another viral someday. Yeah, it'll be good. But, yeah, so that's just uh, all the catch-ups, I guess. I I don't know what else to say except for I love everybody, and I hope you have a good night. And thank you again, Kraya, for coming on. We'll have you on later to go through even more because I know we're just like only touching surface level stuff. And I want this to be a, a free therapist's office. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Kisses. Love everyone. Good Like and subscribe. Share. Oh, like and subscribe. That's a thing people say. Yeah. Like, subscribe. Do things. Okay. Share it with people. It's sure. Oh, yes. Or if you get a little rage them and they'll go on a, a rant and make a response video that boosts the original content views. Like, whatever. If you know Ben Shapiro, give him my number. <laughs> you know, things like that. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I love it. Much love, everyone. Take care and we'll see you next week. And obviously, I'll just see you in the comments and discords. Bye.